Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Please join me, Donna Bear Stein, in welcoming tonight's very special Tefera Talk Show guest, award-winning poet, editor, translator, and critic, Aliki Barnstone. Aliki is a brilliant, sensitive, and prolific author and creative writing professor at the University of Missouri at Columbia. Her work has received two Pulitzer Prize nominations and recognition from the National Book Critics Circle. She has published seven books of poetry, including Bright Body, Blue Earth, Wild With It, Madly in Love, Windows in Providence, The Real Tin Flower, and Dear God, Dr. Heartbreak, New and Selected Poems. Other publications include Changing Rapture, Emily Dickinson's Poetic Development from the University Press of New England, and The Collected Poems of C.P. Kafafi, A New Translation from Norton. In addition, Aliki edited A Book of Women Poets from Antiquity to Now, The Calvinist Roots of the Modern Era, and Voices of Light, Spiritual and Visionary Poetry by Women from Ancient Sumeria to Now. Aliki's poems and translations have appeared in numerous publications, including the American Poetry Review, the Georgia Review, New Letters, Tri-Quarterly Review, and many others. It is truly an honor to welcome this impressively multi-talented author, Aliki Barnstone. Aliki, hi. Hi. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> I have so enjoyed reading some of your books and poems. Um, they have been perfect in this, in these difficult days with um, um, challenges in the world, and they've just been beautiful. Um, Carolyn Kaiser noted your radiant intelligence, and I think that's just a perfect description of your talent. Um, I'd like to start our talk tonight, if you would, by telling our listeners a bit about the fertile landscape in which such radiant intelligence took root, um, the, the, your childhood that came before your very impressive career. Um, well, I, my father is a poet, translator, literary critic, editor, um, and Every summer, and my mother is a painter, and so every summer we used to go to Vermont, and we lived 20 minutes away from Ruth Stone and her daughters, um, and we used to all get together and play the poetry game, which, and so from the very youngest person to the oldest person, everybody was writing together and reading out loud, and my mother would not allow any television or phone or anything so we were in this 
isolated place in Vermont, which is actually, I just visited, and it's still kind of the same. I mean, there's um, been a few houses, but, and uh, so we, we were, we were, we used our imaginations and played, made up plays and played in the fields and drew and read and wrote. And as a result of that, those summers in Vermont, I can never be bored um, because I, my mind can always take me someplace interesting, <laughs> even if it's awful circumstances. That's wonderful. That's such a gift. And I know your book, Madly in Love, begins with a poem um, in which a man goes to visit Ruth Stone, correct? Yes, yeah. That was one of those legendary stories. Um, this man who had, I guess, been um, a boyfriend or uh, of my mom's fell in love with Ruth, and in the poem, um, he arrives. He's he arrives at her door. At, you know, he breaks into her house, is, is holding his you know naked and lies down on the floor and screams, and then he walks over the Brandon Gap in his underwear and um, knocks on our door, which is a very long drive from her place, I mean, walk from her place to our place. At any rate, I, I, I say that I don't like to admit that things in my poems really happened, um, you know, kind of literally happened, but that one really did happen. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I'm not sure if you mentioned your dad's name, but I'll just... Make sure it's in here, Willis Barnstone, and you also have a poet brother, Tony Barnstone, and other brother who's a sculptor. Is that correct? My other brother Robert is a um, sculptor and architect, and he lives in Australia. And my mom is a painter, Mm -hmm. a marvelous painter. Um, So I was raised in a I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was heaven because it certainly wasn't, but it certainly was blessed in many ways. And um, my parents, their flaws that everyone has, um, always encouraged us. And in the end, I think that that being encouraged, uh, having people that have faith in you makes up for other things. Yes, that's that's so true. (laughs) So true. And so your first book, you published your first book when you were 12, I believe, with Macmillan. Um, uh, how, how did that come about, and how did you feel when you held that book in your hands? <laughs> I don't remember holding the book in my hand. It was just a kind of interesting thought, because I remember holding a lot of my other books in my hands uh-huh. when they first arrived. Um, my dad tells the story that I was more, more concerned with the fact that my father was buying my brother a bicycle. I, I was 12. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but it, it came about because my father um, took my manuscript to New York and gave it to a publisher, uh, Macmillan, and the editor looked at it and said, Willis, we should give up or something like that. I don't. Oh, I feel boy. uncomfortable bragging on myself, and um, and so they published it, and then Anne Sexton wrote the introduction. Um, I never wonder. 
You, you, I was going to ask, you had not met her? I never met her, no. Uh-huh. So the radiant intelligence showed through at a very early age. That's wonderful. I think um, that most I think that most children begin like that. Uh-huh. And as long but as you everyone, aren't in I think that the I mean I don't want to diminish my own I I don't believe in you know that some people are you know way above other people. I don't want to diminish my gift because it is a gift. But I think everyone has gifts, and I. One of my sorrows in this world is that so many children are not encouraged and live in horrifying conditions, and that even here, where everyone should have a great education, beginning from preschool on, they don't. And yes. that that spirit of exploration, which can take you so far no matter what your interest is, um, is squashed. Yes, and that's a tragedy. Yeah. And, and um, that actually leads me into another um, um, question that I had, had put together for you, that in, in the blurb on the back, one of the blurbs on the back of Madly in Love, Robert Pinsky writes, pleasure, wonder, anger, and moral passion are here. And in the post of yours that I've seen on Facebook, your moral passion is is evident daily, um, and and whether it's out moral outrage or sorrow at at events that are taking place around the world, um, this is obviously a really important part of your life. In addition to your writing. Um, there's another line from your poem, Psychology, I could scream my fury until the sky thundered, which I love. And I'm wondering how you see either the act of writing or the act of reading what's been written as fitting into or even ameliorating the suffering that does exist in the world. In every oppressive um, regime, the artists are the ones who are the first to go, uh, be silenced, put in jail, executed, have to go into exile, and so on. And so I think that the act of writing and the act of making art allows people to enter a realm in which um, the purest of, of humanity's psyche and um, aspirations is um, present, experienced. And, and I think that that's a very dangerous thing. There's a reason why it was a crime to teach a slave to read, for example. So I don't feel that I can change the world, my, but I feel like I can do my little part. When Pete Seeger died, it was totally devastating to me. And he said that it's not going to be, you know, big actions. 
it's going to be millions of small actions. And he, he, he had an image of a teeter-totter where there's, there's a basket full of stones, big, heavy stones. And then on the other end is a basket with the, where the sand can seep out, but people keep on putting teaspoonfuls of sand into the basket. And eventually the basket is heavier than those big mm. stones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And each poem written, each post that's written is something that that helps that weight. And and everybody joins together. I mean, I, the Facebook is such a strange. I, I I don't. The rest of the social media leaves me. I can't do all of it. I'm just not. I can't learn it all. I Twitter occasionally, but I don't get it. I don't understand how to do it. But I think that it's fascinating the ways in which people can connect and get upset, too, and have to drop out of it all for a while. And on the one hand, I think that there's such a a, a kind of, storm all the time of information and, you know, silly, wonderful pet videos and, 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 you know, people who post things that are so horrifying that I can't, I can't, I have to block them. Not because, you know, um, but at the same time, I think that the, the, that there is great possibility in in all of us having the potential all over the world to be connected at the same time. Yes, I, and, I agree. Yep. And I don't think that we've yet comprehended um, what this this revolution has done to our our psyches, and it is a revolution. I mean, I can't write anymore without the internet because I'm constantly looking things up, mm-hmm. looking up definitions of words, looking up etymology, looking up history. I'm, my next book is tentatively entitled, I say tentatively because every time I write a book I change the title a few times, and um, ecos, which means house in Greek and is also the root of Ecology, ecumenical, huh. and and um, and so on. Economy, and um, so I didn't have much of a science background um, because I went to Brown where I could take wherever I wanted, and I wasn't very interested in science at the time, except for abstractly. But now I'm really interested in it, and so. I can just, you know, I want to learn about fireflies. I want to learn about bees. I want to learn about global warming. I want to learn about whales. And there it is. It's and all that, that access, that unstoppable access is really, I think, allows for such tremendous possibility. And also just too much <laughs> and yes, stupidity can be overwhelm and stupidity and 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 I think I think that that um, that think of one of the things I, I 
there's a film that I'm going to show in my women's studies course called Misrepresentation, which is about the way that girls and women are represented in the media. And one of the points they make is that women and girls, uh, the, the way that people learn about women and girls and sex and so on is at such a young age and so completely unmonitored, unregulated. There's no way to keep this stuff from people. And that, that, that there's a whole a lot of distortion that goes on. And again, I don't think that we've figured out yet what this means and how we, how we will contend with this. Yeah, and a lot of what they see is filtered through a patriarchal culture, you know, historically. Absolutely. So Absolutely. This, is, this is a problem. Um, yeah. I'd love to have you read one of your poems as well so um, we don't get – we could talk about Facebook forever. I know we don't want to talk about. I actually let's, do. Let's hear. I have written the, about. I have written about um, the media in some of my poems, but I'm. Um, and this poem that we agreed that I would read um, does refer to the media. Um, uh, then I will read it. It's called "You Pray to Rain Falling on the Desert." You pray to rain falling on the desert because it is a Sunday where the sky is blue nearly every day and you might forget to be sad because you don't sing with a choir except the quiet rain intoning on the backyard patio and the raindrops outside are not the human voices you must listen to. Because in March, rains wake up desert flowers and globe mallow blooms everywhere, burning bushes in the valley of fire and vacant lots waiting for gas stations. You will see their orange blossoms flaring through the, your windshield and no voice will say, I am. Because the rain will swell Lake Mead with our water for drinking and bathtubs and gardens full of thirsty grass, roses, and oleander. Because the fatal bacteria will die in treatment plants. Because there are no mosquitoes here, no malaria. Because the children's hospital is stocked with medicine. Because the rain will wash away dust and misery and channel toxins from spent bombs into the groundwater. Because your daughter wanted to walk instead of drive, and she spun in her orange dress, pointed her pink sneakered foot, and curtsied in the driveway. Because rain on the desert is a multitude of tender hands applauding new life. It is the eve of war, and you don't believe the broadcast on radio and on television. I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and great judgments. Because the rain keeps you inward, attending to the outward hiss of traffic on boulevards. Because the rain is unclear, a vast gray erasing demarcation. Because the rain makes you feel tired of the word because, 
tired of causes becoming effects, tired of causes, tired of tired reasons. Beautiful. Um, beautiful poem. In this poem and, and in other poems, there's such a, that's such a, a wonderful um, tightrope walk between light and dark, at least this is what I see, that, that, that it's, it's kind of a, a very grounded and realistic optimism. It's not saying everything's wonderful because there are, um, it is the eve of war, et cetera, and, and there are all these problems in life, and yet um, there's this orange sneaker foot and your daughter hurts <laughs> yes. in the driveway. So there's this beautiful, visual, sensual um, light that comes through in so yeah. many of your poems. Would you agree Thank with you. that? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I've, I've written about the Holocaust. I've written about a lot of things that are horrifying. Um, but I don't think that that's, that, that describing the horror in graphic ways, which is one of the things that has kind of driven me crazy about some of the stuff that's been out there in the media recently, is that um, I, I was, had a Fulbright in Greece and I was writing a sequence of poems um, about an imaginary, in the voice of an imaginary poet who survives the Holocaust, and she's a Sephardic Jew. So uh, there was a lot of stuff going on. And at the same time that I was in Greece doing this research and writing these poems, um, the Greek government finally decided to put a few sentences about the Holocaust in Greece in the history books. And so they had a conference which I attended and, and there were um, people who were training the teachers and people like me how to teach the Holocaust. And one of the most memorable things was a woman who, from Yad Vashem who said, don't show piles of dead bodies. Um, show, show pictures of people alive and and teach the death through the life and the life through the death. Because people can't relate to something that has lost, that, that is a person who has become a thing. And, and, and I think it leads to objectification. Um, besides which, why bother to live if it's all bad? <laughs> I mean, yes. really honestly. Right. Um, Right. The reason that it matters is because these are everyone is beautiful and wonderful, and I really do believe that. I believe that yes. even the the worst of people, they have something inside them that can be redeemed. I know that that that's a very <laughs> I agree, and 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 they may have become horrible because of warping in childhood, et cetera, all kinds of things um, can warp the, the natural good yeah. in people. Um, and power and money and greed and all of that. Um, but again, I, I, I return to the kind of small, small things that we do 
that matter. Um, having a garden that attracts butterflies and bees, for example, yes. or or being a teacher, you know, small things, just some kind of kindness. So I I I think that that's what comes through in my poems. In this particular poem, I mean, at least I hope so. In this particular yes. poem, I was living in Las Vegas at the time, and what that being in that place, being in the desert when there was about to be another war in the desert, um, allowed me to be two places at once and to speak of both places at once. Um, and the interesting thing about the the you know the, the spent bombs you know going into the water, the groundwater is that you know there were those atomic picnics where people would go up to up Mount Charleston and watch the atomic bombs go off. So yeah. there are spent bombs in the Las Vegas area. And one of the things that people don't talk about about bombings is that it's an environmental catastrophe in addition, which has long-term effects on the people who live on that land, who survive that, on that land. It has long-term effects on their health and well-being which matters. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. And I know you mentioned plants in your garden that attract bees, and I know um, we have one more poem that you're going to read tonight that has um, a mention of bees, um, which yeah. is certainly important to the continuation of the world. Um, but yeah. before we get to I, I had a question. I know that you edited Voices of Light, Spiritual and Visionary Poetry by Women from Ancient Samaria to Now. And right. my question was, um, how, what did you look for in the poems that you were selecting? Um, what, and, and this, I think, ties into what you're just saying about doing small acts of kindness or, or having, not having the dark overpower the light. What did you want the poems that you picked for that anthology to achieve, or, um, or, or, I guess that's the question. Or, 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 or another question: yeah. How would you find but, poetry that that's spiritual? What would what would that mean to you? Well, in the introduction, I say that this that the spiritual is defined by a quest for union or union, and that is can be very broadly defined. Um, you know, many of the metaphysical poets and the religious poets, devotional poets, have very erotic poems, um, which are devotions to God, and then there are or a Godhead or the universe. And so I looked for poems that ha that I thought expressed in because the, the book goes for you know from ancient Sumeria to now so there are a lot of cultures and a lot of languages um, but I looked for poetry was first of all good and second of all transporting in some way um, I don't know if that answers the question yes, but. It, does. Yes, it does thank you um, well, let's let's hear the poem "Alas" with the bees. Um, I would love for you to share that with our listeners too. Okay. Um, 
I think this might be the first poem in the next book, but it might be the last poem in the next book, or it might be in the middle, but for now it's the first. Alas. All the days since the autumn equinox, I've been unable to get the word alas out of my mind. Alas, swirled on maple leaves burnished by rain. Alas, too pretty to be sad, though it signifies sadly. Alas, the birds alight too briefly before their southern leaves. Alas, the lawn, monochrome emblem of the love of money, a single conforming species, its ranks, blades held aloft, poison-tipped, lethal, alas, to all insects except the few pests targeted. Lethal to little helpers and food progenitors. Alas, too many mistake for weeds and eradicate our wild violets in clover. I like the violets' heart-shaped leaves in my salad, shining with beads of oil. I like to think the soil likes the clover to fix its nitrogen, and the clover likes to be the grass Walt Whitman loves, inviting us to loaf and hum among wildflowers whose names recall daughters, home and harvest, pincushion, bachelor's button, and Queen Anne's lace, goldenrod, cosmos, and prairie aster, sweet alyssum, yarrow, and autumn joy, where bees intoxicated by nectar, not toxins, live to be our promiscuous pollinators. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad, Aliki, that you're sharing your many kindnesses and your concern for the world and your talent for writing with the world. I truly am. Um, Thank you, so, Donna. Yeah. Um, do you know when your next book will be out? No, I don't know when it will be out. Um, I would not imagine it, I, it would be out until um, at the earliest 2016. It, I am just putting it together right now. Um, in fact, my bed is spread <laughs> with poems. Yes. I think the, but um, I, I'm hopeful that it will be out in the next couple of years. Yes, all right. And we have listed um, your other many publications um, on uh, the Blog Talk Radio site and on the Ferret Journal site. Would you also like to direct people to your own website so they can find out more about you and read more of um, your work, your visual art as well? Um, my website is alikibarnstone.com. It's a little out of date, but there's still quite a lot on it. And then I also have um, alikibarnstone.blogspot.com, which is my blog, which I occasionally post on. Um, and, yeah. You're so very swift, and it's, it's wonderful the way you switch between genres with such skill as well. So... Um, thank you, thank you, Aliki, and uh, again, apologies for the technological snafu at the beginning here, but I have so enjoyed talking to you, I feel like we could talk 
you have done so much. We could talk much longer than 30 minutes, but thank you, thank you. for giving us this time tonight. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Aliki. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's Teferit Talk. The show will be archived and available for later listening on our website at www.teferitjournal.com. You are invited to join our global community of writers there and to subscribe to our literary magazine, Teferit Journal. You can enjoy a generous 40% off summer discount if you subscribe by August 31st. Please join us at Teferit Talk next month when we interview the author of Peaceful Warrior, Dan Millman, and his co-author daughter, Sierra Millman Prasada, on Wednesday, September 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. In the meantime, all of us at Teferit wish you and the world a meaningful and creative peace. May we all embody Teferit in our lives, a loving heart, wise compassion, and an expansive reconciliation of opposites. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.